Okay, um, start you with a question with your thinking caps on. Who, who were the most, the two most important figures in world history? Had the most impact on world history? Two. Todd Wright? One. <laughs> one. All right, besides Todd. Jesus was number one. Survey said Jesus. Okay. Who's number two? Marco Polo. Augustine. Wow, I thought you'd all get it right away. Abraham. Henry Ford. Yeah, I was going to say, they're going to say Abraham. Henry Ford. I just read about John D. Rockefeller last night. No, not John D. Rockefeller. Thank you. Ancient or? Ancient. All right, here's a hint. The most, two most impactful humans who ever live in human history. Jesus. Adam. Adam. Right. Adam. Don't forget about Adam. Why? Why is that cheating? It's like saying what's the best ice cream. No, seriously. Because through Adam, right? Would you say it's important that Adam's sin cause was impactful in, in human history? So, because of him is why we have Jesus. And they're not equal, by the way. We'll establish that, obviously. Not, not equal in impact or in any, in any way. But one does affect the others because of our, our father, Adam, our earthly father. The, the first Adam came the second or the last Adam to undo, basically, what the first Adam had caused. So... Uh, we want to read Romans 5 and uh, verse 12 through 19. And let me start with that. Romans 5 verse 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. And before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin, by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. That's our key verse we want to thank God for. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. So there's a nice contrast right there between our Lord and, and Adam. Before we begin, though, I'd like to read a little bit of a, a, a historical survey up to this point in Romans that actually comes from another source, but I'll be reading from it or adding into it. But 
Um, <coughs> the thing about expository teaching or preaching, which can happen, and, and right now we're, all, we're well into the book of Romans, so you never want to forget the context. This is the key to this passage, because some of this passage I just read you, you're thinking, wow, that's so obvious. Those are great obvious truths. Those are wonderful. But some of them you're saying, wow, what does that mean? <laughs> What's all that about this one thing and the trespass and the law and all this? So the context is what's key here. So in expository teaching and preaching, it's good once in a while to remind everybody, for instance, um, who the recipients are, who, who we're talking about, what's the setting of this letter, and, and throughout, and the occasion, why was it written, and some of the questions that were addressed by Paul, some of the problems that may be involved in the letter as well. So context is uh, key. <clears throat> I remember hearing during school somewhere, you may have heard this thing too. A text without a context is a... Pretext. A, right, a pretext, right. Meaning that someone who's, who preaches or studies or teaches a text without giving its context is giving a pretext that's going to come from them. It's, it's prejudged, it's predecided, it really, really just comes from their own, uh, their own uh, source, whereas it should come from an understanding of these other, these other things. So first of all, let's hear these things this writer told us about this time of history. The first Christians in Rome were most likely Jewish. Possibly they're among the Jews from the various parts of the empire who heard Peter speak on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. From the issues addressed by Paul in Romans, we can conclude that like many Jewish Christians, they may have had trouble comprehending Jesus' fulfilling and ending of the law. The Christian community in Rome apparently carried on with many Jewish practices such as believing in the necessity of circumcision, the keeping of days, adherence to dietary laws. Gentile Christians, who had never been under Old Testament law, eventually came into the assembly in Rome but they were dominated by the more powerful and numerous Jewish Christians. In an edict issued around A.D. 49 by the Roman Emperor Claudius, expelled Jews from the city of Rome because of fear of their uprising and rebellion against Rome. The edict did not discriminate, though, between Christians and non-Christian Jews. So even the Christian Jews were cast out. But the edict did not include Gentile Christians, only Jewish people. So they stayed behind in Rome, so the Gentile Christians stayed behind in Rome in the expulsion of the Jews as mentioned in Acts 18.2. After some years, the edict of Claudius was either withdrawn or allowed to lapse at his death. When the Jewish Christians returned to Rome, they found the Christian community had gone on without them and was now more Gentile in character. These Gentile Christians did not want to return to Jewish ways, which created a friction which is one of the reasons why Paul in his letter to the Romans was trying to ease tension between Jewish and Gentile Roman Christians. He wanted to show that neither side of the dispute was superior. He concentrates on showing the Jewish Christians the law did not make them better than Gentiles. And in fact, the reliance on their law was the cause of their fall for the, un the unconverted Jewish nation. In Romans 1, Paul clearly states, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In Romans 2, Paul tells us that relying on the law, those who relied on the law were inherently hypocrites. They looked at others and condemned them, not realizing they also broke the law, chapter 2. They tried to teach others to keep the law, but they broke the very points they taught. Both of the classes of people in the world that they lived in, Jew and Gentile, are equally condemned. 
either with the law or without the law. Because even those without the law are law to themselves. Paul said that he is not a Jew who is outwardly circumcised, neither is the circumcision outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit in the letter. In the beginning of chapter 3, Paul softens it somewhat by saying that the Jews did have an advantage. They were the oracles of God, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And the Old Testament scriptures were given to them. But he quickly spoke again, saying, What then are we better than they, the Gentiles? No. For we previously warned both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. That is written, There is not one righteous, no, not one. Uh, We especially like to use that verse to teach about depravity of all humanity. But in context, it's really referring to Jews and Gentile being both not righteous. And that the Jew and Gentile should stop condemning one another. In Paul's context, then, he intends, when he mentions all, so that's one of the problems as you read in this passage we just went over. He says many, he says all, a lot, all, all men. So what he's referring to in all is really the two classes to form humanity together. Those that were born under the law and those not born under the law. The Jew and Gentile. And again, he said, is God the God of Jews only? Isn't he the God of Gentiles also? So the idea of two classes is essential to understanding the letter of Romans. And then he goes on chapter 4 to excite the example of Abraham, who was saved by faith and became the father of faithful people of both classes, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And now we're in Romans chapter 5. And again, he's talking about the Jews under the law and the Gentiles without the law, both are condemned as sinners, both come from the children of faith, justified by faith and peace through God. So now, chapter 5, verse 12, which is where I start, she started. Mm -hmm. We see that all the world, saying all men have sinned, that the world consisting of those under the law and those without the law is what he meant by all men. (coughs) All right. So I think you get the idea of what we're saying here about the context there. So we're talking, when he's talking in this this particular passage, try to keep in mind Jew and Gentile as Paul's thinking. You know, he's not narrow-minded. But he's not talking about somebody in Alaska or somebody in Venezuela. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. And that's in that comparison between the two is what he's saying. So keep that in mind. So if someone's going to ask you if they had good news and bad news, which do you like first? The bad news. That's me too, right? I like the bad news. Hopefully it's not too bad so you can enjoy the good news. So anyway, we're going to get the bad news first. And we read that in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And this way, death came to all men because all sinned. This is something which our world just doesn't get. If, if they would just look around, but of course they can't, it has to be given, to see how our world operates with such contradiction. People can do very, very good things. Very good. Like this poor, we wrote about this firefighter who died give his life up for his brothers, literally, giving up, uh, taking a chance of risking his life for his own family and children who are about to go off to Disney World. So we have people that lay down their lives for others. But we have on the other side of Tom possibly a man who has no trouble killing another man who has children and a family as well. 
And our world just doesn't understand. How can this happen? How can men be capable of such good things and then so evil in another way? Mark? Take one step further and blame God for it. Or say, how come God doesn't stop it? Right. Mm-hmm. To blame God for it. That's right. But to see how we see the reality of the sin nature all around us, the depravity of man, we see it all around us, that God said, they shall know good and evil. And we do. We know good and we know evil as well. So the sin nature is apparent. If, if anyone would ask where this came from, we could, the Scripture tells them came from Adam. Came from his act of disobedience. And this is why we need to have a Savior. So this addresses both for the bad news, the Jew and the Gentiles, saying that, that sin and death, these are two great enemies of, of men, by the way. Not just sin, but death. Because God said to Adam, what? In the day you sin first, what happens? Shall surely die. Meaning a physical death, first of all. And when he talks about death, too, he's talking a lot about physical death here in this passage. Sin comes, and when sin came, death followed. These are the two enemies of the human race. Sin and death. We don't have to ask ourselves if death is true. Uh, We have enough evidence of that. Um, We see it everywhere that that it is. People have a hard time, like Mark was just saying, they blame God. Uh, How can we be guilty If someone's never sinned, right? Someone's, the Bible says, the wicked are estranged from the womb, right? David said what about his his conception? John Piper says it's like a pirate who saves someone's life. They're still a pirate. (laughs) That's right, doing the good even when we're evil. Like Jesus said to the apostles, how can you being evil say anything good? He was actually saying that when they spoke good things, it was betraying them. You'd say, well, they were saying good things. But it was betraying them because they were actually wicked. They were evil men saying good things. Um, But what does the Bible say about, David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. In sin. So this goes back to to the earliest times that we are guilty in Adam, through Adam. Then we do also sin ourselves, of course, which just, finishes the the judgment, so to speak. No one can say they've not sinned on top of it. But some, like Mark would say, our world would argue and say, why should I be guilty before I ever sinned? Well, John 3 talks about that, that they're condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one only Son. So not believing is, is you're already condemned, not waiting to be condemned. So we benefit from the act of Christ, but we suffer from the act and the trespass of Adam. One way we can understand this possibly of this carrying through us, this, this sin nature coming through us, and this is a difficult subject, right? This is pretty, pretty complex here, um, is, 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 no, is uh, Abraham. Remember the illustration given in, Abra- in uh, Hebrews about Abraham? What does it tell us about tithing to Melchizedek and, and Jacob? you remember? Anyone tell us that quickly? Remember that God, the Scriptures tell us that in a way Israel was tithing to Melchizedek. Remember that? Because he was in the loins of Abraham. Abraham. So we can see this concept in the Bible of someone actually paying a cost while not yet born through another, through Abraham. So in this case, the sin we are affected by is carried through the earliest from Adam. 
Jerry? It's a theological word that when you use it would be solidarity. Okay. That we would be one with Adam, so Adam's act was our act. We were in Adam. Right. Which is quite different from the Roman Catholic view of original sin. So right. Significantly different. Right. Well, the, yeah. impu- the imputation of unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Right, imputed right. sin. Adam's unrighteousness is imputed to us. Right. Jacob and Esau, before either one had done good or evil, the choice was made. Right, that's sovereignty of God. But the sin being put into us without our our will, so to speak, that it's born in, into our, our lineage, into our progeny, is something that is hard to accept. But again, we understand if we look at it from the idea of, of Abraham, Jacob paying ties through him, it hopefully would make more sense to us, possibly. So in verse 13 and 14, it tells us something a little bit uh, hard to understand. Before the law was given, sin was in the world. Well, that's through Adam, his disobedience, and, and those who followed. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from... So he's saying before... So now we're including the Jews in the end of verse 13. Uh, Nevertheless, death reigned in 14 from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. That's before the law. But even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a type to come. So even though before Moses there was no law given per se, yet death still reigned throughout the human race because of Adam's rebellion and his sin. It tells us here at the end of verse 14 that Adam was a type of one to come, which is fascinating because we hear the word type all the time, right? A type of Christ. But it's usually in a positive sense, right? The ark, Noah, Joseph, these are all types of Christ. So how is Adam a type of Christ? This kind of goes back to what Gary's saying too, the connection, the solidarity. But how is he a type of Christ if it's basically negative, what we're talking about here with the imputation of unrighteousness and sin? Well, there's a similar thing going on. Just as in Christ, we receive everything that Christ is. So in Adam, we receive everything that Adam is. Right. So he, he typifies Christ in that way. Which, you know, while we may not fully understand what it means to be all that Christ is, which we are, we certainly understand what it means to be all what Adam is. Right. Right. Amen. That we were born into that sinful community. Right. That sinful body, so yep. to speak. We get a good point. We can identify with all that Adam has done because mm-hmm. we live it. But at the same time. We're learning to identify more and more with what Christ mm-hmm. has done, amen, as we learn the scriptures and yet, and, and, and through the Holy Spirit, learn and equate these truths into our life more and more. Mm-hmm. Finally, though, in the result of his coming and or our death to meet him, uh, we shall be fully known as, as he knows us. Yes. Someone else had a comment? Maureen? Adam was a human being, and that's, he wanted to have someone come and pay for the sin of Adam. Right. God's tremendous. Right. Well, I mean, technically, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the way God intended it, and it's the perfect way to do it. He was also given the task to be in control of everything that was going on in the garden. Right. Basically, what Christ did was relive the life that Adam failed at mm-hmm. under the same circumstances. He, he did what Adam did not do and could not do, mm-hmm. but in a greater... And so what I'm trying to say is, it's a far greater sense um, than, than what we are... In other words, we're not just going back to the Garden of Eden. That's not what he's done. We're not going back to be dust and to you know, somehow go back to the Garden, start all over again. Okay, let's get this right the second time. No, that's not what's happening. God has 
uh, has ordained much, much greater and superior things beyond uh, this, which we'll see. But as I type ahead and uh, ahead, Pat said it, representation, you've heard maybe the theological phrase fed, federal head. You've probably heard of that. Yeah. And, and it very simply just means federalism or federal means to be representative. So we're represented as a federal government by others. That's all it means. So, to be a federal head meant that Adam, what Adam did, and matter of fact, someone has a a definition here. Adam communicated to those whom he represented what belonged to him, Mm -hmm. and that Christ also communicated to those whom he represented what belonged to him, capital H, him, God. So, that's what federal head means. So, Adam is a federal head, but Christ is a federal head too. Adam is the earthly federal, human federal head. Christ is the spiritual, the man from heaven. So we're starting to see the difference between Adam and, and Jesus. Man from earth, man from heaven. Big difference. Gary? One difference, though, overall is that we didn't have to do anything to be connected to Adam, but we had to obey the gospel to be connected to Christ. Right. Good point. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, about the yeah, idea of the gift. Good point. So that type of Christ we see Adam was, it doesn't have to be always positive to be a type. It's just saying that he, he represented to the people what he was. Christ represents to us what he is. So now we get to the good news. So that's enough of the bad news, right, with Adam. We know all about that. So the good news is this. In verse 15, it says, But the gift is not like the trespass. So just think of the word gift right away, right? Gift. Everything we have is given to us. It's a gift. a gift of God. Um, and it's not like the trespass. Trespass meaning disobedience and sin. Mm. One, one thing about a gift I thought was interesting, this is my side note here. You ever think of a gift, right? People tell people, especially those of a more Armenian slant, would say, it's a free gift. You have to accept it. Accept Jesus as a free gift. Now, that's true. Technically, it is a free gift. But here's the thing about it. You ever think about a gift, though? What a gift really is? A gift has to be what? Received. received. It does have to be received. That's key. That's what they would say. But what else about a gift? What? It has to be open. That's it. it has to be received, but it has to be... It's got to be like purchased or bought or something before it can be given. Okay, that's true. But that's right. But that's... Who else? It's free. Given. It has to be given. You can't take a gift from someone out of their hands. See what I'm getting at? Good reformed people? Has to be given because no one can receive a gift that has not been given to them. See, See what I'm getting at? So the giver of the gift is who's important. The gift is important. But if the giver of the gift is not giving the gift, it cannot be taken or received. One of the things, of course, that we argue about in America is whether or not an alien, an immigrant born in America should be considered a citizen. Because all they have to do is be born here and they can, everything that, all the birthright citizenship is conferred upon them. They're members of the country with all its protections, rights, character, everything. Right. And a similar thing sort of goes on with us. Right. It's given completely, right? Everything without doing anything for it. Yeah, Just being born. Being born into it. Exactly. It's a similar thing. So... The idea of this gift is it must be given. So, the good news for us and Gentile Christians, which we are, Jewish Christians too, uh, from all over the world, as God selects that we are given this gift, and it's better or greater than the trespass. Way better, as we'll see. 
<clears throat> in Mark 10:45, when we read the words about many and all, don't get too confused because the, the question that comes up in this passage at the end is everybody says, is universal salvation taught? Right? That's the big question. Does that say all men will be saved? Well, of course we know that's not true, obviously. So how do we, how do we explain that, though? Because these words are interchanged throughout. For instance, Jesus said in Mark 10:45 that his life would become a ransom for many. He didn't say all, right, per se at that time. He's using words which are talking about many, more, uh, all, all sin. We know that, but it can say many. He means all. We, just, we have to understand the usage of the word at the time. But to say this about what we're going back to, this gift, this gift, this gift just keeps uh, giving, as we say. And it's richer. Because it's a gift, it's not something we earned. It's not limited. you ever think about that? If we could earn salvation, would there be levels of that salvation you earned as compared to others who earned a higher level, so to speak? Uh, of course, that's ridiculous talk. But what I mean is, if it's a gift, then there's no limitation to what it could mean. It's up to God to decide the limitation of the gift, and there's no limitation to it, like Pat was using the illustration. All things are ours, right? All things. It says we, it says we are even partakers of the divine nature. And that's kind of what I'm getting at as we go to the end. The divine nature. More than Adam. See, this, Adam was a man of the dust. He's a man of the earth. That's what we are. So when, when Christ returns, and the Bible says in um, Acts 3.21, it says this uh, about Christ coming. It says, he says that he must remain in heaven, Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. God spoke through the minor major prophets about this restoration of this, this life that the Jews looked forward to after coming back from Babylon, but never materialized because the children would be 100 years old. They'd play in the den with the cockatrice. The lion would lie down with the lamb and men and women would, you know, there'd be no, there'd be no harm, no war. Everyone would know the Lord. Well, the Jews thought this is going to happen, but it didn't happen in their day because it wasn't talking about earthly it's talking about spiritual and eternal and a greater thing. In other words, like I said, when, what Jesus has done is not going to take us back to the Garden of Eden. And we're going to be formed out of clay again. And these, this is perishable. What we're going to receive is imperishable. And that was one of my questions, actually. So, first, though, here's a description, a definition of the restoration that the prophets talked about. One writer said... And our word restoration is limited. It really means something greater than restoring. It means something like wonderful beyond that. He said the restoration is not only of the true theocracy, God's rule, not only of the true theocracy, but also of the most, the more perfect state of even physical things that existed, which existed before the fall. So as before Adam fell, you say, well, that was the perfect state, right? It, it was, in a sense. But here's the problem. What was the... And i got to use my word carefully here. Um, not imperfection of Adam, but what was the propensity that existed in Adam and Eve? They could sin. They could sin. That's always bothered me. So my question is, I used to ask as a young believer to, to what I'd say, Lord, could I get to heaven and do that again? Could I sin in heaven and you know, this is how I thought. I got so, you know, to be so scared. Could I disobey you in heaven? Can I, of my me, can I disobey you? What would happen if I disobey you in heaven? 
so this is the thing we're not going back to the Garden of Eden where there's a propensity to sin where what's going to happen to us is there is no more propensity to even sin alright and that's good to know that you can't cause your own downfall Seth do you want to add something that was a good you heard the answer there good man <laughs> um, the propensity to sin in Adam was there so it was not perfect so do we want to go back to a place where we're not perfect and we can sin that is not what he promised to us at all obviously the, the things which Jesus came to destroy in this world there's two main enemies I said what sin and death right and he came to destroy and to overcome both and he did it how did he overcome sin what Right, that's what the scriptures are saying, right? By his one act. Now, the, the word says one act, but his, it's true it's referring to the cross, but don't forget his whole life was an act of righteousness. He was sinless, he said. He defeated sin how? At the cross. But death had to be defeated too. Right? Not just sin, death, because death came from sin. So how did he defeat death? Right, the resurrection. That was the proof of power over death. The Bible says, Death, where is thy victory? You know, O grave, where is thy sting? And it even tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be defeated, the last one, what? Death. It shall be swallowed up into life and has been. But someone could say, you know, I thought about this for a second. I thought, well, no, they kind of go together. Isn't it three enemies? Sin, death, and the devil. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to do what? To destroy the... But what were the works of the devil? Mainly sin and death, right? And you know what's amazing too, as I thought about this? I mean, you've you thought of this too. You know, sin was long before Adam. The devil knew all about sin and its consequences, didn't he? Sin was in the universe before Adam. And Satan knew this at least. I can guarantee you this. He knew what, what sin did. Maybe he didn't know what death did because he's still alive. He's an angel. He's eternal. He'll experience eternal death in the sense of confinement and imprisonment. But he knew what sin did because what does sin do? What did sin do to him? What? He fell, but that's right. He, he fell. That's right. He fell with other angels as well. But what else did it do? What did sin do that Satan quickly understood? And if I can get Adam to sin and Eve, this will happen to them as well. Separation from God. What's that? Separation from Sep Exactly. Anybody else? Two? You're right. That's exactly it. What sin did is it separated him from the presence and the holiness of God so that he was cast down. And in the book of Jude, it tells us that the angels who sided with Lucifer, it says they did not keep their first estate, which was what? Right? The presence of God and their, and their, their rightness before God. It says they did not keep their first estate, but were cast down. And now where are they? It says in Jude, literally, they are kept in chains in gloomy dungeons, it says. Gloomy dungeons. Waiting for what? The judgment. The, the, day of, the great day of judgment. As a matter of fact, what does it say about the lake of fire? Was it made for you and me? The lake of fire was what? Prepared for? Right. So sin was in the universe long before Adam. 
So when the enemy came, he knew all about sin and what it would do. And that's what Adam, unfortunately, fell after. <laughs> I, was telling, I was telling my wife a little earlier, I thought, you know, the more I see Adam and the more I learn about Adam, I got problems with Adam. I was hey, I, I honored Adam. I mean, Adam is Adam, and I don't mean to be foolish and disrespectful either. But I see Adam more and more like Barry. I see Barry more like Adam. You know, we, we sometimes think Adam and Eve, you know, had this illustrious generation and the generations that followed the godliness of the generations after Adam. They were just like us, right? The first family experienced what? Horrible thing. Murder. Right? Hello. <laughs> That's a big bang. Did you think about the first family experienced a mother losing her son to another son? A mother experiencing one of her own children killing another child. What Adam and Eve had to experience in the very first family to show you the fall and the nature of man. But what a trade-off we've received. That's the good news. Back to the good side to get back on the bad news for a minute, but back to the good news again. That we were justified by this one act of righteousness. All men, Jew and Gentile, being, uh, instead of under condemnation now, receiving justification uh, through faith. The difference between Adam, too, is that Adam did not do this, like they say, blindly, right? When Adam sinned, did he know what he was doing? Right? It was, it was voluntary. It was willful. He acted willfully against God's command. One command, he, you know, like that joke says, you had one job. One job yeah. is all you had and you couldn't do it. You know, one job Adam had, don't eat that tree. And it's like a child, don't eat, don't do what? And, and they go to the thing they shouldn't do. And, and Eve as well, together they went. But with Christ, it's one life of righteousness that follows and follows many trespasses, giving us justification. And the result again in verse 19, that many uh, will be made righteous. Just make sure I got it here. That many again made righteous through him. Anybody, any comments though to this point? If I'm getting it, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's why he took it, because nothing happened. Everything God said didn't happen. Right. And, and the devil was right. He didn't die. He didn't die. Mm-hmm. And in his limited knowledge. Right. And the day you eat, you shall surely die. They didn't die that day, but death came now after that. Right. Right, and spiritual death came as well. You're right. So the good news is here, though, as we read, just to go and look at verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so the result of one act of righteousness 
was justification that brings life to all men. Now again, this is not referring to universal salvation because we know that doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, very few are saved, Jesus said. Remember that? And the Bible talks about a remnant. Paul said that if God had not preserved a remnant in Israel, Israel would have been lost. But God gets, supplied a remnant. Um, in our day and age, right, we, you know, there's so much around us that we err by thinking, how could, if God is a loving God, how could he, and it's from more of our perspective. And that's almost the way we start to read this passage, which is why the question then exists, well, then we're all saved. But actually, the issue that was being dealt with was completely opposite of ours, and it was they knew that they were locked in this condemnation of we're part of Adam, how could a just God forgive sin? And they couldn't understand that. And so it's the opposite of the issue we're, we deal with, with if God is a loving God, how could he condemn someone to hell? Right. Their issue was if God's holy and righteous, what hope is right. there for me? What could mm-hmm. there possibly be? Which is why then he provides this great example of well, if this was true, that all followed after Adam, right. how much greater than yes. that could come through Christ. But isn't it interesting? It's the opposite that we deal with. Yeah, because, and that's interesting you said that, because like someone wrote, I, I read somewhere in one of the commentaries said, uh, this idea of being imputed sin, we didn't, you know, that's why I kept bringing up, I didn't do anything yet, why should I be imputed with sin? The Western mind, you know, the Western yeah. world, how we think is different from the Eastern, they call it the Eastern, which would be the Middle East, but how their minds think sometimes, how other countries think. It's not the way, you know, we think everyone thinks like good old Americans, but that's not how all people see life. Um, the, the other cultures see life very differently, and like that's what Richard's bringing up. Today, our problem is, you're right, our, ours is we want everyone to, come on, you know, God's kind of mean, you know, he, Let's hope he does. And, and this is where this idea, I, I see in um, the battle today is what John MacArthur and Piper and a lot of guys saying, and I see this so true, uh, it is this annihilation. People don't want hell to exist, and I get it. You know, Nobody wants hell to exist. We want it to just be a little burn and done, and we don't like that kind of stuff. It's not fair. It's not the American way. You know, it's not, we didn't do anything. Jenna? That's what scripture says. Every good and perfect gift from the Father above. Even the wicked can... Matter of fact, the, the wicked exist to bless the righteous. That's why they're still around. And how amazing is it that even one person can get saved and go to heaven? I know. Surely. Surely. Um, that's why it says that... Exactly. The gift is not like the trust. The gift is so... We can't... You know, we're coming up on Christmas, right? We can never understand this gift. We just will, only in heaven, when we're given eyes to see, will we understand how great this gift really is. It's not a works. Work salvation is such a a put down because it takes away from the beauty of this gift that God God is giving his people. Todd? John Reiser does a good job expositing this text. He says, 
the many that represent that are represented by Adam are not the same as the many that are represented by Christ. Right, right, exactly. Good point. It's not an equal trade-off. It's not like what Adam did is in the scale, side of the scale. What Jesus did bounced up. That's not it at all. What Christ did is far superior and greater. Again, Adam was a man from the dust. That's us. Adam means in Hebrew it means ground, it means dust, earth. So, and they were called Adam, Adam and Eve, and they were saying they were called dust. They were called dirt. Not dirt in a bad way. Soil, ground. That's what we are. But Jesus is the, the it says, as a matter of fact, we're going to close by reading. If you'd go to 1 Corinthians 15, this should hopefully, this passage from Paul again, speaking of Adam. He was the only one that spoke of Adam, by the way, in really terms, except for genealogy. Paul spoke about Adam mostly. And he talks about Adam, and it's very. And now that we've read some of these things, and your mind's sort of been in this uh, this direction, I think it'll make sense. Uh, it'll really add up, I hope. In First Corinthians 15, start with verse 21 and 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. And that's what Maureen was saying, right? Now, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But again, that word all is a general term meaning many or, you know, it doesn't mean every single person ever born. That's not what it means. That's not the context. Now, go over to verse 42. Skip way over to verse 42 of chapter 15. So, now, this is what we have to look forward to. This is what I want you to really enjoy and rejoice in. So it will be with the resurrection at the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. That's us. It is raised imperishable. That's us. It is sown in dishonor, the sin nature. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. That's our fall. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. That's what we have, earth and blood. uh, Blood and bones. It is raised a spiritual body. Again, we're not going back to Garden of Eden to be another lump of clay formed into a man again. Now, look at the end of verse uh, 44. Continue. It's raised a spiritual body. Listen to this promise, this guarantee from Paul. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You know what that is? That's a guarantee. It doesn't even take faith. There's a guarantee of a resurrection. You know why? Because your physical body exists. He says, if there's no physical body, there's no spiritual. If there's a physical body, there is guaranteed going to be a spiritual body. All, now this is what we can say, all men will be resurrected. It's true. All men who've ever lived will be resurrected. But some unto damnation, many unto damnation, some few unto life. There will be a resurrection. Because all men that are born with a physical body, a natural body, will receive a spiritual. Gary? And those bodies that the unsaved will be raised in will be obviously incorruptible as well. Amen. In order for them to be able to exist eternally. Right. Right. Challenging the belief again in annihilationism, right? That body is eternal to suffer eternally. There is no burning up of annihilation. Good point. So he says here then, in the, as we go to verse 45, um, we'll get in the body. So, verse, yeah, down to verse 45, let's see. So it is written, 
the, now this is where we want to see this again about Adam so it is written the first man Adam became a living being but look at the last Adam a life giving spirit now that's key because we're going to become like that see what I'm saying the first Adam a living being it's not putting him down he was dust he was a man of clay he was formed and he was given life by God God breathed his nostrils he became, a, he became spirit he had spirit that's what we have we have spirit in us too but Jesus is a life-giving, eternal spirit. What did Jesus say fascinatingly about God? He said, God is what? God is spirit. Isn't that strange saying? Because we tend to think in our mind like <laughs> ghostly thing. But what he meant was God is spirit. What does spirit make you think of? Think of God as spirit. What does spirit possess? Incorruptibility, eternity, immortality, unquestioned ability to go forward to not die God is spirit we it says what does it say about Jesus he was a life he's God he's a life giving spirit Jesus is a life giving spirit amazing isn't that something and who are we then what will happen to us will we, we just be dusty earth people up in heaven while Jesus is life giving spirit it says no it says this in verse 46 the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. This is our final proof that Jesus and Adam are not equal in any respect of what they both did. Adam was a man from the earth and the dust, and Jesus is the man from heaven. Big difference. Superior. But listen to this, the good news for us in verse 48. As was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. That's us and the world. He said, and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That's us. We are now of heaven. Our citizenship, Jesus said, or Paul says, the scripture said, is in heaven. Jesus says we've passed from death to life. Done. Finished. So he says, so also are those from, who are of heaven. Verse 49. And just as, now look at, this is the best part. <laughs> and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, we see that. He says, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Now, I can't take that too far. We'll not be God, obviously. But will, will we be equal to angels? What will we be? We'll be above the angels. Higher than angels. That's amazing, right? Angels are tremendously powerful and wise. Good angels I'm talking about. Michael, Gabriel, the host of heaven. We will be above the angels in likeness from the man from heaven, yet not God, the bride of Christ, somehow a superior, far from Adam, even in the garden, we are superior to him. And superior to the angels. And we shall judge the angels, or at least the apostles, Jesus talked about judging the angels as well. So he says in verse 50, to close, I declare to you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So this is, you know, we tend to think of that that verse, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You know what that is to me as I thought about it? We all fear death, right? Like Gary says, death is the king of terrors. And Paul talks about we are like those who live their whole life in fear of death. And we see it every day as you get older. Uh, death is coming. But when I read this verse in verse 50, you know what that tells me? Be glad of it. Because without death you cannot inherit the imperishable. So this perishable 
must go down. It must stop. It must be released and, and shed so that then you can receive the imperishable which will be in the likeness of the man from heaven. This is the difference between Adam and Eve. So the gift is not like the trespass. Right? Not like it at all. Superior God. Typical in God's way is he takes something which was broken and instead of just fixing it back up to resemble, he makes it superior. He just he, he makes it even greater than it ever was before. Because God's a worker. God's a creator. God's always moving forward. He has a plan. He has plans for us in eternity. We, we, don't, we can't even taste them because we're so limited in these fleshly bodies. But he's got far more. So when you think about death coming, and I, I'm sorry to sound negative because you hear me, I talk about death a lot because I find it so fascinating that I'm not going to be here someday. Yes. And I can't believe that. I just can't accept it. Exactly. I just can't understand. I'm like, what's going to happen to the world if I'm not here? Yes. But I will go. And that's not a... It requires no faith to believe in that. But the good news is this. Remember that you can't go to heaven unless you die. The imperishable can only be received when the perished is perished and done and in the ground. And therefore we rejoice at the new bodies. Anyone closing words? Please, Gary. Uh, one man's obedience... We know about Adam's disobedience. Mm -hmm. He disobeyed God. You know, you can't eat of the tree of life. Uh, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and so on. Um, but what about Christ's obedience? Could you found that a little bit, Brother well, very good. Well, I only said briefly that it says one act of obedience, but we don't want to limit it to saying just the cross. That, yes, he did die on the cross. That was an act of obedience. But his whole life was an act of obedience, wasn't it? He said, I always do those things that please the Father. Uh, which of you can accuse me of sin? He said to people. Uh, he, was, he, was, he said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. But go ahead, Gary. What were you going to add on to that? Yeah, you know, that basically was it. I wanted to that point. I mean, it says in Hebrews 10, 10 by the which will we are sanctified mm -hmm. to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By the which will his will, his will of obedience to the Father's degree of a necessity of an atonement to be made on the behalf of his elect people. Amen. And another beautiful thing about the life of Christ is that he was fully God and fully man. And because he was fully man, he wasn't given any advantage that over us to make it easy for him to go through life. He experienced all sin and temptation as we do, even worse so, yet without sin. So, God fully did what He intended to do was to have, have His wrath appeased by His Son who died in that punishment for us and to justify us. Remember, God is the just and the justifier. The just is His wrath being appeased and sin being paid for and punished and the justifier means we receive justification and are declared righteous. And again, that righteousness, we only have imputed righteousness now, but it's progressing. In other words, that's what I talk about, the propensity for sin. I still have the... Even though I have imputed righteousness, when I, when I first got saved, I thought I wouldn't sin anymore. Can you believe that? It took about a day and I realized, uh-oh, what's, <laughs> what's going on? Denise knew before that. Yeah. <laughs> My mind knew before it all. So, uh-oh, I'm going to still sin? This is awful. 
But I, I knew that I was saved. I knew there was some, God had done something in my life, work, did a work in me. But the righteousness now is imputed. It's a down payment, so to speak. But we shall fully assume in the, in the imperishable full righteousness. No propensity to sin ever again. And that's what we'll enjoy. We have a down payment now, though. And we have a Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit as a down payment. Shannon? Say that again, the first part. Amen, amen. And that's what the great theologians have all said. R.C. Sproul, John, uh, John Dammers, they all said, I'm so tired, I just don't want to sin anymore. I'm so tired of sinning all the time. I want to go where I don't sin anymore. And that's by the grace of God. Justin? Also just a, a comment about... Um, a comment about the representation um, it is the natural order of things for Adam to be our representative um, so the, the standard progression is if Adam does sin you know that that's imputed to us the standard progression of things isn't that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us you know that Christ is our representative um, that is a abnormal thing right. um, which increases how special and precious right. it is that Amen. we can have Christ as our representative right. because by no means is that natural or something that um, we deserve or owe having Christ as our representative Amen, Amen, verse, verse 15 the gift is not like the trespass Todd, would you, and then would you close us in prayer sure, after? Sure. In the old days Puritan said uh, not only that life is in the blood, quoting in scripture, but they said that that um, the sin came to the blood. Oh yes. And of course they're they were reacting to the their nature of Adam and how the how how the, the progression of sin man is born into it. Mm-hmm. And I find it fascinating that we live in a day and age where modern science has discovered how sinful man is without describing it as sin. I know. And they immediately make us victims because we right. don't need to be responsible for this right. inherited sin. That's right. And then they have made themselves even doubly worse off because of the fact that now they have a mind that isn't predisposed to a gospel message right. because they don't think that they're at fault. Right. And rather than blame it on sin... They basically have come to the point where now, what are they left with? Let's just let them do it. Let's just let them do it. They want to. We're going to do it. We're, it's not sin. It's we're victims. Let's just go. Everybody, do what you want. Let's go. Problem with that is what this one wants to do intersects with what this one wants to do, and there you're going to have your problems. And that's what we're seeing today: conflict. Because righteousness and God's goals have been done away. Would you close us in prayer? Father, we thank you for this theologically rich book and uh, Lord uh, for the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to understand it and to understand what in general the world does not understand. They fumble around, oh Lord, and Mm -hmm. lost sinners. May we grieve